As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Hi, Michelle and Emily. It's Rosemary here. I just want to thank you for the very interesting stories you've told and the lovely way that you talk to people and your gentle and nice manner with people um, I think goes a long way to healing. So thank you, and I look forward to hearing more shows. Bye-bye. Thank you, Rosemary, for being the very first page. All right, on with the show. Kitten, you said you wanted to come. Well, come on, then I'll put you out. Hang on, hang on. Come on. 
I told you it would be boring. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. There are key moments that will stay with me. Like I, I remember like they were yesterday. Yeah, I can remember um, Mum, Dad and um, Stacey, my sister, uh, visiting me at the Ipswich Watch House. And, um, you know, I'm in this dirty, dirty cell and, and the toilet's not working, there's flea-infested blankets. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying it was prepared for me, but, uh, yeah. you know, it was... And all I had was this little hole in the door to go and converse with them and they're saying everything's going to be fine, you know. And that stays with me um, forever because it sort of... It was the first time that it really hit me that they were, you know, saying that I was the one that did it. This is part two of our two-part special called Who Killed Leanne Holland? It's named after investigator Graham Crowley's excellent book and website. He's also working on a podcast series, which we will definitely feature here on Australian True Crime when it's ready. Last week, we spoke to author Robin Bowles, who includes the court case that saw Graham Stafford convicted of murdering the 12-year-old Queensland girl in her list of Australia's greatest miscarriages of justice. This week, we hear from Graham Stafford himself, who served 15 years in prison for the murder he maintains he didn't commit. These days, Graham Stafford is still fighting to have the review of his case, promised by the then Queensland Police Commissioner Bob Atkins in 2010, made public. The review was completed in 2012, but since then, Stafford's been locked in a legal battle with the Queensland Police Service, who, for reasons best known to themselves, are trying to prevent its release. However, they did helpfully pass on a document they called a summary of the review to Channel 7's recently axed Sunday night program earlier this year. It was that summary that Sunday night used to justify their ambush of Graham Stafford. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. Australian True Crime patrons will receive a dedicated episode in which Stafford talks about the ambush and in which we hear from his current partner, Jackie, over the Christmas break. But in this episode, we hear from Graham Stafford about the day Leanne walked away from her Ipswich home for the last time. We hear about Graham's life in prison, surrounded by child sex offenders, and about who could have killed Leanne if he didn't. We begin by asking Graham to tell us about the house he was sharing in September 1991 with his girlfriend, Melissa Holland, her father, Terry, and her little sister, Leanne. The house we were living in um, at the time was, I guess, just an average house. It was um, weatherboard. It was a little bit run down sort of thing. It's um, so hot and no one in Brisbane had air conditioning ever. So no. it's just hot and you've mm. got your fans going in summer. And But I mean... It, it was okay. I mean, I, I must admit, I was a little hesitant to um, move in with her father initially because I'd seen where they lived originally. It was like a squat. It was it was in Goodner. It was you know it was really run down, and it was bizarre because Melissa's room was like spotless, but the rest of the house you know holes in the walls and things, and mm. 
It's like a housing commission, obviously. So I get the impression that their dad was struggling in the way that a lot of dads would have struggled in those days to be single parents. A lot of people yeah. still struggle to yeah. be single parents. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, he got uh, left with three of them. Um, and Leanne was uh, still in nappies when uh, his wife took off, you know, for whatever reason. I, I don't know her. I've never really had any conversation. Melissa never used to talk about her. So. And Melissa sort of stepped in in a lot of ways to raise it, Leanne. Yeah, yeah. So everyone's struggling, but it's a loving household. That's the impression mm. I got. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that was your vibe when you moved in. So, so you weren't worried about living with him per se? No, or? no, 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 not yeah. at all, no. Just the conditions that, I mean, you know, the way I'd been brought up, what I'd been used to sort of thing, um, just didn't compare, you know. I mean, I'm not the tidiest person, but, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, and also your parents, right? Your parents are sweet, conservative English yeah. couple, would yeah. that be fair to just say? Yeah, working class, yeah, know, and they just, yeah. I mean, came from nothing and um, brought us out here and, you know, now they live on the sunny coast. Well, mum lives on the sunny coast. Dad passed away a couple of years ago. but uh, I reckon she, your mum would keep a very clean household. She does. Yes. She does. Nice mm. hot dinner on the table every night. Probably a hot breakfast every day. Did you get a hot breakfast? I think she's too busy going on the cruises. Now. Now. But she strikes me. Yeah, when you were a kid. But yeah, when she, I was young. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She strikes me as that sort of lady to say, you can't leave the house without a nice warm breakfast. And and you yeah. call your lunch dinner and your dinner tea. tea. My husband's British and my kids go, what? He goes, let's have some dinner. Mm-hmm. It's lunch. So how did you meet Melissa? What was what was that relationship um, like? Through work. Yeah. We worked together. Well, she was in the office and I was out in the um, on the plant. I used to uh, build roller doors. Mm. And um, it's kind of um, awkward because um, I guess there was always, there was someone else I worked with that sort of had a couple of um, dalliances with, but she just never seemed to want to progress from that. So I guess I started looking you know, around and we had a Christmas party and got talking to her and you know, maybe it was a bit of, Dutch courage, I don't know. Just, we went out. Good old Christmas the... party hooker. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Fantastic. Um, and so you ended up living with her and her family and little Leanne. What sort of little sister was Leanne? She was fine. Yeah, she was just... Um, we know yeah. she was a cheeky I mean, girl. I mean, like, she, again, uh, reminds me a lot of myself at that age. Everything yeah. I hear and read about her, I think, yeah, I wasn't allowed to probably the leverage that she was allowed at home um, in terms of coming home late or whatever. But... Yeah. In, other, in every other way, to me, I think no, yeah, she that's was, what she I was, was like. she was a good kid. I mean, she had a couple of friends that were probably a little bit sort of, you know, I'd be a bit, yeah. probably, again, just what I'm used to. I mean, my sister's same age and she had friends come around and they weren't the ones swearing and sort of, you know, sort of, that wasn't some, just the way we were brought up. I did. I, I mean, I was probably brought up similar to you, but I had rough head friends like that. <laughs> okay. <all> that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, she um, she's like she liked music, and we were all into music. You know? Yeah, we um, took her to Kylie Minogue um, the concert uh, back before Kylie Minogue was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, you and Melissa did. You went for a bit of locomotion just I so she could I took a friend go. with me as well. I thought if I'm going to see Kylie Minogue, I'm going to have a mate. We're having a couple of drinks first, but we. Um, yeah, we did, and the best part was we told the end that we were going to see a rocker stead. So we phoned up to the entertainment centre and uh, she's gone, is Kylie here? And then we're going, well, maybe. Oh, geez, if we'd known, you know. <laughs> and 
And that's just the sort of, you know, thing we did. Oh, it's lovely. That's beautiful. um, We must talk about the day that she disappeared because it's the biggest turning point in your life and her life and her family's lives. It's turned a lot of lives upside down. Mm -hmm. Everyone else was at work. Melissa and Dad had gone to work. Yep. You had a day off. I had a day off, yep. Yeah, and she's bopping around on her school holidays. Mm Mm-hmm. And Robin says that you put more into that day off than most of us put into a work day. You just did so much. <laughs> well, yeah, not really. I mean, I, I, I sort of knew I had things I wanted to get done. I, I wanted to fit the um, the shock absorbers to the car and, uh, uh, you know. I mean, I'm always cleaning it, but um, we didn't have any uh, facilities there to clean it, so I used to just run up to the car wash. So, yeah, I ran up to the car wash in the afternoon. Um, harking back to what we were talking about before, after the conversation regarding the hair dye, Leanne, as I say, spoke to her dad. I don't know what the conversation was, but basically she said she was going to uh, the shops. I said, that's fine, and didn't really think anything of it. I mean, she was given a lot of leeway to sort of come and go, and that was probably one of the things that annoyed me because... um, well, not so much that she was given the leeway, but quite often, you know, I'd get up in the morning to go to work and all the doors were open. Like, you know, I've never lived in a house like that, you know. We have security enough. I'm shocking like that at home now, you know. I'm really I've right on top of security, but you'd walk around and all the doors in the house would be open, you know. And it she's might be because she's gone downstairs to see her dad and left them open when she's come back up or whatever, you know. And that sort of got me. But um, anyway, um, yeah, so as far as I knew, she, um, yeah, she'd gone down the shops. It wasn't until many years later that we found out she'd actually spoken to the next-door neighbours before she went down the shops. I think that was when Crowley uh, managed to prize the police job logs out of the out of their hands because initially I put in for them through FOI and they wouldn't let me have them because I wasn't allowed to be privy to how a police investigation was run. So Crowley said, well, I'm an ex-police officer, or I think he was, yeah, he was ex-police officer. Uh, so he knew how it was run, and he actually got hold of those job logs and found out that uh, there were so many people that had seen her on the day. So as far as you knew, she said to you, I'm going to the shops mm-hmm. to dye my hair. You said, fine, see you later. Roughly what time? About half past nine. Oh, early. Yeah. In the morning. Yeah. And that's the last you saw over that day, or ever. Mm-hmm. So what did she say? Was there anything significant in the chats with the neighbours that you found out much later, or just the fact that they had seen her and not been questioned? Just that, um, well, from what uh, Crowley, because um, he took a, I think they were Vietnamese, um, so he took an interpreter. I mean, you know, I, I sort of had brief, hi, how are you going conversations, but never really got to know them well. But um, apparently they were planting a mango tree or something rather in the front yard. Uh, that's when they saw me working on the car later. But uh, they'd also spoke to Leanne um, and then she said she was going down the shops and they didn't see a return. This is, like I say, around 9, 9.30. I'm working on the car somewhere around 10.30 uh, that, later that day and they still hadn't sort of, you know, finished doing it. They were still planting in the garden. They're still in the front yard and they haven't seen her come back? It's such a normal suburban scene. Yes. Like just 
In you fact, know, even I've got Vietnamese neighbours and they're constantly farming the front yard. Yeah. <laughs> even that. And it's, yeah, just yeah. The, um, the, the horror that was to come. Yeah. It just, it, I don't That's know, just striking, really striking to me. And it, it, it adds to the literal unbelievability of what was transpiring, um, that you are such normal people and this extraordinarily horrible thing happened to all of you. So when did, the, when did people start to say, where's Leanne? Um, Tuesday. I think the problem um, we had was that uh, because her dad had his own little area downstairs and I don't know whether you've seen photos of the house, but you can't actually see whether he's in or not. Um, so if Leanne was staying down with him, which she quite often did, she'd stay downstairs um, you know, watching TV or whatever. Um, I guess we probably uh, just assumed she was downstairs when she could have been, he might have assumed she was upstairs and it wasn't until Tuesday that we sort of realised, hang on, no one's seen her. And so Tuesday was the next day. It was suddenly, say, have you seen Leanne? Have you seen Leanne? And start calling around. Yep. When were you worried? Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon. So mm. you'd rung friends, everyone yeah. had rung friends by that yeah, stage. Yeah, we'd, well, we'd, we'd actually uh, driven around to... Uh, a few, we'd driven around to um, the caravan park where uh, her best friend was staying and she said she hadn't seen her. Um, and then a few other places. That's when we were now in the police station. What was their attitude initially, police? Do you remember? When we went down to report her missing? Mm. Just, yeah, okay, give us a few details. I think... I can't remember, but I think there was like a... They said there was a set period before they could sort of step in and say that she's actually missing. Which yeah. now is sort of not, not you know, yeah. not done. But now. you hear that so much, they're like, oh, wait, they'll mm. come back. They've just run away, you mm. know. Mm. Yeah. How many days were, were you guys waiting before you knew the worst had happened? I think they, um, they found her on the uh, Thursday. Thursday afternoon. On the Thursday afternoon, I guess everyone, did everyone stay home for these days and wait for news and all that sort of stuff? I was actually, because um, they came up on the Wednesday and, um, you know, I'd sort of been down the police station for several hours. They were asking me things, oh, my movements, obviously, and whatnot. Were they asking everyone that or did they single you out early? No, that? no, they, they were asking um, myself and Melissa and Terry. Yeah. Um, but I guess, obviously... You know, they were both working that day, whereas I was on a roster day off, so it was probably a little harder to sort of um, just say, well, this is where I was. Trying to remember everything I did, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I don't think I even wore a watch um, in those I often days. think that. I think I would have no idea what I was doing mm. two days ago. I don't know even. what I do on the weekend on no. Monday when people go, what did you do? I'm like, um... And particularly if they'd sit you and ask you again and again, okay, mm. go through it again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Graham, tell me yeah. again, what were you doing on mm. Monday? One of the officers is called Grain as well, which didn't help. And it's like so confusing. The only thing that uh, I got wrong, I um, told them on the Wednesday, I think, that I'd been, I'd hurt my arm because the, when I was fitting the shock absorbers, they, um, I had the jack under it sort of thing because it was lowered. So I had to jack it up. And um, it sort of slid because I had it on this board. And it didn't fall, but it slid down and it just sort of jammed my elbow in the guard. And it sort of, you know, gave me a bit of grief. So I'd seen the um, first aid officer at work about it and it was still giving me grief. So I actually went to the doctors and 
when I was giving a statement, that was the one thing I got wrong, saying that I'd gone on the Tuesday, not the Wednesday, I think, or something. Monday, not the Tuesday. That's what it was. Even now I can't get it right. Yeah. And they made such a big deal of it, but it was me that pointed it out to them the next day. I said I was wrong. That was the only thing I got wrong. Did you ever, in those first days, did you feel like they might have been looking at you? Oh, uh, after they took my car. Um, when did I they s- take your car? On the Wednesday. So, okay, so Tuesday she's reported missing and on the Wednesday they took your car. Yeah. Wow. Did you think, oh, yeah, it's reasonable they're going to interview me because, you yeah. know, yeah. that's just how it goes. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, is it unfolded? I you- mean, you know, we, we went down there voluntarily, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. That's the sort of thing you would expect that they're going to ask, well, when did you last mm. see her and yeah. what were you doing? Yeah, and, you know, as we look, we know from, you know, different cases and what, I guess, watching TV and movies, they will look at the people closest to the person. So, And and did you feel, are people who end up wrongly convicted often talk about this feeling of, it's it's going to be fine, I haven't done anything. How can that possibly, was that your feeling? Were you afraid or were you feeling like it'll sort itself no, out? No, I think. I think, um, well, to give you an insight, I mean, when I was arrested, um, mum and dad, good old mum and dad, sort of racing around trying to get some legal advice, Um, the only lawyer we knew was a real estate lawyer and that's who we went with to begin with, you know, sort of like a real estate lawyer. I'm thinking, well, it's going to sort itself out. And basically he said, oh, just tell him to tell Tell the truth. He'll be fine, you know, and it's like, okay, you know. Yeah, just tell the truth. You've got nothing mm. to hide. Mm. What can go wrong? So... And, I, I, you know, I was naive. I, I had no idea, like, um, you know, they go on about your rights and whatnot. I had no idea that uh, they had to record these um, interviews and they weren't. I don't think um, I would know that either. No. Yeah. Apparently that's, that's a big no-no. Um, yeah. So they didn't, obviously, they didn't record your interview. Not um, the, not not the initial ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, on Thursday, Leanne's remains were found. Do you remember when you he- heard about that? I do. <laughs> I can remember it. Was, sorry. That's, that's something that never leaves, you know. I mean, we were downstairs. <clears throat> um, her brother was uh, there as well. And um, when they came in and said that they'd found her, he, I remember him punching this concrete post and must have, gone close to breaking his wrist he was that upset you know and um yeah i was upset i had to ring you dad um yeah it's yeah it's just really you know i mean it's bad enough that uh, there are people and there's probably always going to be, you know, as long as I live now, there's probably going to be people that are going to say, oh, he's guilty, you know. And that's, that's you know, tough enough. But it's just sad that they don't want transparency. They don't want to, um, you know, get it all out in the open. You know, if if what they're saying, what the police are saying, is if this review vindicates them, then why are they spending ginormous amounts of money in preventing it being released? Yeah. I mean, that uh, last court case, they had to pay um, my legal costs, which was in excess of um, $50,000. Mm. 
So why does it, when we talk about the moment that you heard about Leanne's remains being found, you, it's very upsetting, it comes straight back to you, that feeling in that moment. Hmm. And why does it then take you straight to the, the police and their attitudes about the information? What's the link there to you? Well, just with everything that I know now, um, like I said, I didn't know anything about the next-door neighbours um, you know, not being called, their statement being whatever they did with it, I don't know. Um, I've actually got a heap of paperwork, you know, it's all random sort of uh, printouts sort of thing, but uh, from the police job logs, and it clearly shows they've gone to the next-door neighbours and it just says, oh, yeah, they were at a funeral and of no assistance. Well, how, how, you know, I know so much about what they did during that investigation now that it... Does it take you straight to the next steps? When, we, when, we, when you go back to that moment of hearing that she had been murdered, does it immediately take you to everything that then came after that? It does. I mean, that... In some ways, that's probably one of the worst... Well, obviously, it's one of the worst moments is when we found out that she was... You know, they found her body. She's dead. She's um, never coming back. No. She's not She's not at a friend's house. She's not run away. The worst has actually happened. Yeah. Unbelievable. That probably stays with me more so than, you know... I mean, there are key moments that will stay with me. Like, I, I remember, like they were yesterday, yeah, I can remember um, mum, dad and um, Stacey, my sister, uh, visiting me at the Ipswich Watch House and... Um, you know, I'm in this dirty, dirty cell and, and the toilet's not working. There's flea-infested blankets. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying it was prepared for me, but, uh, you know, it was... And all I had was this little hole in the door to go and converse with them and they're saying everything's going to be fine, you know. And that stays with me um, forever because it sort of... It was the first time that it really hit me that they were, you know saying that I was the one that did it. Yeah, and did something so heinous that mm. that they're going to let you know from the minute you're in custody that this is how we treat people who do things like that. Mm. Well, you must have been terribly afraid in there. I was, yeah. Uh, when did you find out about the, the injuries that, that Leanne had sustained? That wouldn't have been um, until uh, at the trial. Really? Mm. Yeah. Well, I didn't have any real um, legal connection, representation. representation. Um, I had Adrian Gundelak, who was a, a good barrister at the committal, and I never really got to see him, but he you know, obviously is a good barrister. Um, but when I came to trial, there was another trial, and whether it was, again, purposeful or not, I don't know, there was another trial he had to do so he couldn't represent me, and I had um, been given a legal aid uh, barrister by the name of Charlie Clark, who'd never handled a serious case, and had three days to oh, go through it all. My God. It's all very scary. Then the reason I raise the issue of Leanne's injuries is because it's such a hideous attack. It's, it's so brutal mm. that... Uh, to th for people to think that you did that. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, 
it was probably when they started talking about her injuries, you know, saying that she'd been burnt with cigarettes. Um, and that's when it sort of made me think back to when I was being interviewed, they kept offering me cigarettes and I said, I don't smoke, never have. Yeah. Um, when people say, oh, you don't smoke, I, say, I usually joke and say I was always worried it would stump my growth, you know. Because you're, <laughs> you're quite little. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 But, um, um, and to find, you found that out in court, yeah. her, her injuries work? Oh, yeah. What a horrible moment mm -hmm. for so many reasons. And, and I couldn't find, I was looking through the transcripts, I was trying to find where they were talking about that because um, the judge did say, well, the guy, this guy doesn't smoke. Um, and the prosecutor turned around and said, well, maybe he used the cigarette lighter out of the car. And the judge sort of said, well, is there any evidence of that? Well, no. He says, well, then probably should leave that alone then. <laughs> you know? mm. And it's like, well, where is all this coming from? You know? I mean, I... So when did you start to think maybe this actually, maybe I could get done for this? Like, you know? From going I, from that moment, from thinking, well, I can't I, get done for this because I didn't do it. When did you start to think, I could actually get done for this? I, I, I certainly um, didn't think I was going to be found guilty. I, you know, even even with some of the things they were saying, I, I thought, no, surely they're going to see through this. Mm -hmm. You know, um, just, I don't know, different things. Like, I think one of the uh, witnesses... Uh, who I supposedly identified my car, got the identification of the car down pat so good that the judge um, asked when uh, she last seen the car and she actually told him that uh, she'd been shown a photo of it outside the courtroom by Detective Graham Richards. Before yeah. she testified. Before yeah. she testified. Her statement refers to a brown, rusty old car, not a bright Shiny. red Gemini with a little sticker O'Neill sticker on the windscreen. No, there's and... one thing you're famous for, it's the condition of your car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Our patrons will continue to receive a brand new episode every week over the Christmas break, including a special one with Narelle Fraser and her favourite boss, Lorraine Blackwell. I went to the academy in the 70s and I said to Narelle, it was only ever going to get better because for the first time in my life I had running hot water. Like, I grew up with no electricity, no running hot water. So you get to the police academy and you've got running hot water and a shower. Like, life doesn't get better than that. Patrons will also receive another episode featuring Graham Stafford and his current partner, Jackie. Mum wasn't overly impressed to begin with because I'd had a couple of pretty ordinary sort of attempts at relationships prior to that yeah. and again some of those were people that I knew prior to but maybe someone. you should have left them alone yeah 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 well, <laughs> say it like it is well say it like a current partner yeah maybe you should have left that alone you can become a patron for as little as two dollars a month us at patreon.com forward slash crime pod one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Coming up on Australian True Crime, if Graham Stafford didn't kill Leanne Holland, who did? But first, Graham talks about his experiences in Queensland's prisons. Bogger Road was pretty bad. Were you in Bogger Road? I wouldn't have thought. Of course, I'm just trying to think. When did they shut Bogger Road? Yeah, it was. I was lucky because it was just on lucky. the yeah. <laughs> so lucky. In the respect that uh, it was at the point of closing. Yeah. But so Bogger Road, we we went through Pentridge recently, but Bogger Road was same vintage prison, but yeah. smaller. Victorian smaller, yeah. yeah Maybe lucky was the wrong choice of words. <laughs> I can remember getting out of the. Um, it's funny, I just go back to the watch house. When I got in the um, bus to go to Bogger Road, the irony was one of the guys that had been picked up was a guy I went to school with. And he's going, hey, Graeme, what are you doing here? So, and we're chatting away and then... Fancy meeting you here. After we got out at the police station and I don't know whether we, that was when they did all the fingerprints and whatnot and got back in, um, obviously... Uh, I'd, I'd seen uh, Fines Clinton, the other detective, pull him aside when we were going in and he just never said boo to me then. It was like, yeah, don't talk to him sort of thing, you know, which was, yeah. Your old mate never spoke to you again. No, old school mate, yeah. But, um, yeah, once we got to Bogger Road, I mean, after you sort of had the shower of, because you're in the back, you're segregated from everybody else, but there's only like a, a wire cage so you can't, sort of stop all the spitting and all that sort of stuff. And Why were you segregated? As a newcomer or as a, an offender who had been convicted for that kind of crime? That wasn't wow. a conviction stage. That was just an arrest stage. Okay. Uh, so then we go to Bogger Road and obviously there's like the jail grapevine obviously knows who's here sort of thing because you can hear them all yelling from the cages and whatnot. So you're... you're you're a rock spider in their Basically, eyes, yeah. And, yeah. and is that why you were segregated in that part? Yeah. Okay. So you're with, you're with sex offenders. You're mm-hmm. housed with child sex offenders. Yeah. Yep. Um, For Graham Stafford from his nice family in Brisbane, his lovely clean home. How was that? What I mean, what are your recollections of that? I um, can recall being locked in um, the cell and uh, on the hour, every hour, whoever it was, probably the same officers or whatever, would come around and kick the door so that I couldn't sleep. Um, I think that's probably when I first um, had, had the breakdown because, um, you know, it was just... And obviously the food, I mean, they kept presenting me with food that couldn't be eaten. Uh, there was glass, wire other unmentionables 
you could see it in the food. You know, and, and I thought, well, I'm not eating that. So at that point, I think they realised, and, and I don't know whether that was um, going to be the case anyway, but they transferred me to uh, Morton Correctional Centre at Wakehall, which, again, was protection prison. Um, when I first got there, I was in a little old yard called Foyard. I think it was 14, 16 inmates. And being who I was, I didn't know the likes of Barry Watts, Barry Hadlow and, and all these people, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, they seem all right. And then you start to sort of like get to know who they are and it's like, really? This is where I am? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. So you're housed with really the most notorious... Well, Barry Watts, we've spoken about recently just personally, Emily and I, about the fact that we wanted to cover the case because as a kid, the Sean Kingy abduction and murder by Barry Watts and his wife, Valmay Beck, was just a huge, terrifying story for us in Queensland, wasn't it? Yeah. That a woman could be involved in... Absolutely. ...assisting her husband to abduct a child mm. and rape and murder her. And you find yourself living with these people, which suggests to the rest of society that you are one of those people. Yeah. Um, and then, with this, from this perspective, you have to go to trial, right? So you haven't even been to trial still yet no. when you're in Wakehall? Still in Wakehall, yeah. Uh, so you have to try and summon the, the courage to go through and put your best foot forward in this murder trial. How were you by the time you said you've already had a breakdown by this stage? How were you psychologically and emotionally by the time you came to trial? I was a mess. I had, you know, had no real sort of plan of action sort of thing. I, I didn't sort of, there were basic things that uh, I couldn't remember. Uh, and I'd remember them years later. I'm thinking, well, how did, how did I not, you know, why didn't I say that, you know? Oh, and I can't, just can't imagine the the panic and the fear and how that could immobilise you mm. and your, your mind. So you felt you, you still didn't think, though, that you'd be found guilty throughout no. the course of the trial? No. Do you remember the moment when you heard the guilty verdict? I do, yeah. Talk us through that. I still hear the scream from the back and, and I can remember uh, hearing about them Walking out of the court, um, they were told to go out the back way to avoid the media. The police let off, the, let the media know where they were and yeah. come round, and they're in their face. That that was the photo that was in the Career Mail. What um, happens to you though? Like the, the, we have the literal saying of he's going down because in England in the old court courts they take them down, down through stairs. The through bells, the, yeah. Does that happen here? Yeah. You go downstairs and you put in a cage and you just sit there for however long and you you know have to think about what's happened and then eventually um, they'll put you in a paddy wagon and take you back to um, to the jail. You're then put on suicide watch for several days. Yeah, it's... Did you think then, still think like that it'll write itself or did you, did you at any point just give into it and say, okay, well, I've got 15 years or whatever I, it is? I and think... After the um, second appeal, um, I think the one where um, Fitzgerald, I think, said should have gone back, um, 
and the other two disagreed. I, it was ironic because they don't normally let people attend those, well, people, you know, us people, uh, attend those um, sort of um, court hearings. But I was there and I could actually see, I think it was Justice Davies, and he's laying back in his seat like this and it's like, this is supposed to be a proper hearing and you just don't seem to be listening, you know. And then the other one, um, Justice, I can't think of his name, he was really old, and he starts uh, bringing up how Leanne's hair's been dyed Titian again. I'm thinking, oh, that's another different colour, you know. It's like, mm. and, you know, I just, yeah, couldn't believe that. I thought after that one, when we lost that, I just sort of thought, well, I've got to try and stay sane and, and just keep going. I sort of already gathered from the people around me that um, the fact that uh, what I uh, was charged with, what I was, the lifetime sentence I was serving, that was it, I wasn't getting out. Um, and there were um, people that I sort of got to know that had been in there 30 and 40 years, you know, same sort of thing. And I thought, well, and I never really um, told mum and dad about that um, because obviously, you know, they were still trying to, uh, you know, help out. I had a visit every week, well, twice every week while I was at um, Wakel or Morton uh, for eight and a half years. Off either, well, mum and dad would come every week, obviously, and Stace and whatnot, and then somebody else would come. In. And, and it was a case of they'd have to do it on a rotor basis. Because so many people and, wanted to come. Yeah. And I was very, you know, I was, you know, surprised, not surprised by it, but sort of felt supported by it. You do that. hear a lot, don't you, about prisoners? They're just the people who visit them just drop right off. Yeah, like no, I, I had visits. Well, so what did your life turn into? Did you do, you did most of your time at Wacol? I did eight and a half years at um, Morton, yeah. Um, although, well, so I say eight and a half, it was interspersed with the little um, time that... Um, I had it Arthur Gorry, mm -hmm. and that's where things got a little bit pear-shaped. Private jail, they had no idea how to run things. Um, and I got, uh, yeah, got beaten, up. beaten up pretty badly. Um, and it was pretty much arranged that I was going to be beaten up. By whom? Well, the staff um, in the fishbowl made no attempt to prevent the bashing in the cell next to me, someone else was bashed prior to that, and he actually got to the intercom and called for help, and still they didn't come. Was he also convicted of a sex offence against a child? Yeah. So you're still in protective custody, but it's not quite so protective at Arthur Gorry? No, it was pretty... It was That was when Bogger Road was completely closed, and it was a case of half of them, half of them, let's put them in the same... And see how it goes. Oh, and that's how it went. Mm. So um, I was taken to hospital. In fact, I got to the hospital before I realised I'd actually left the jail. I was that sort of, you know. Um, I remember the um, prison, uh, the, the dog squad guy saying, oh, at least we know what size shoes they wear because the shoe prints were all over my back. Yeah, yeah fractured cheekbone, a few other things and... Mum ringing up saying, what's going on in there? And she actually um, got me um, complain, like complain enough for them to send me back to Morton, fortunately. Because, um, I mean, Morton, 
seemed to be a lot better run. The staff were better trained. Um, Good on your mum. <laughs> Our mums. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad she was able to do that because as a mother, of course, that's your reaction well, when you hear you know, that I, that's happened to your son. I won't son. mention the, the guy's name, but when, when I was recovering from my injuries and I hadn't uh, actually left Arthur Gorry, the, um, one of the head honchos, I won't say what his position is in case he's listening, but um, he basically told me that um, I should uh, not press charges unless I wanted to go back and they do the job properly. So when did you, let's talk about when you were getting close to the end of your incarceration. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, what what was that feeling like? Did you? Well, I was at um, Palin Creek when. um, What's that? Palin Creek is a uh, farm. So that's a kind of prison you go to when you're just about to. It's a low level farm. I mean, when I first went down, it was very low security. But um, slowly but surely, I think they've sort of sent the wrong kind of people down there occasionally and there's been a few people run off because it was, as you say, low security. There were no um, screens on the doors or windows or anything. It was for people that were trusted. Yeah, yeah and transitioning and back into transitioning society. Back into society yeah. Did you ever have any charges or anything while you were in prison? Any none, trouble? None, none whatsoever. So you, you're in the at the farm environment transitioning. Mm-hmm. Um, do they give you programs? Like what do they do to try and help you? In um, While I was in Secure, they, they had a lot of computer programs, um, which I did. Um, did a lot of those. There's cognitive skills. There's, um, I think they had, one of the best ones was an outside one that was alternate to violence. Um, that was quite interesting, even though I, you know, didn't really, you know, it was run by outsiders, like I say, and it was just a totally different approach, um, I guess, sort of thing. But uh, there's there's all sorts of programs being run if you, uh, you know, want them. Yeah, because I'd be intimidated to come back into society. Like we've had a, a guy tell us that coming out of jail, the thing that rattled him the most was people, strangers smiling at him in the street. He found that really weird for a long time because it just didn't happen in jail. I can remember when, when I first got to the halfway house at uh, South Brisbane, they used to, um, like, they got you a job, so I'd have to travel on the train from South Brisbane to Central and then from Central all the way down to Strathpine. Um, and so you, you sort of be seeing a lot of people and it just felt like everybody's gone, I know you. Yeah, I know. And Well, yeah, you were quite famous. Even uh, I, today, yeah, people I still look at him funny and he goes, oh, yeah, I'm getting the look. But uh, do you think they know who you are? Because people look at me funny and I think most of them don't know who I am, but they just mm. think she looks familiar. She looks mm. familiar, yeah. So yeah. do you think yeah. maybe it's that mm. in your case? Well, it's possible. Yes. I mean, I've been fortunate because quite often it's been a positive response. Yeah. They want to yeah. give him a hug or they yeah. want to shake his hand yeah. or they give us money to buy a bottle of wine. Yeah. That's so Queensland. I don't. That doesn't happen in Melbourne much. I don't reckon. <laughs> I don't think so. But again, I don't know. You know, Graham, you are such a high-profile yeah. case. And again, we're talking about a state where people. I'm not going to say don't, but certainly historically haven't had a lot of faith in police. And it might not be so difficult for them to imagine that you were wrongfully convicted and spent years in prison. Mm-hmm. So I can understand how you would get a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. Which leads us all to, so so you were released from prison. I mean, if you didn't kill Leanne Holland, who did? 
the attack itself was so violent and brutal. Robin Bowles says attackers when she talks about the attack on Leanne, which leads me to believe that she thinks it was more than one person. Yeah. I, I haven't had it confirmed, but it's believed that that's what uh, also uh, the review alludes to, the possibility that it had to be two people. The famous executive report. Yeah. The review that you're trying to get access to. So, yeah, and another thing that um, people sort of don't think about, and I've sort of spoken on our group page that we've got um, about it, is Leanne was probably taller than me. Um, I was only, at that stage, I think 55 kilo ringing wet. I think um, Leanne was probably about um, 47, something like that. So that's not much you know, difference in weight to like carrying your own... You're right. Having never met you before, I didn't realise that you were... So short. <laughs> How tall are you, Graham? I'm five foot two. It never occurred to me that yeah. physically you'd be quite similar, actually, yeah. in stature. If not, she's a little bit taller. Yeah. You weigh a little bit more. And certainly the attack on Leanne, the, the injuries suggest an overwhelming attack on this young woman or this girl. This is the thing I don't um, understand. I mean, that would have had to have been, you know, if, if one person was involved, then there's got to be some sort of, like there was... Restraint. Yeah, there's no yes. defensive wounds or whatever, you know, sort of scratches, whatever, nothing. Um, on you? Had, on me. I had the no. same clothes on me all day. Nothing. I mean, they took all my clothes. I actually found, I was looking through stuff, as I say, and I found where um, I think Craig Holland, the brother, gave a statement saying that he um, noted that um, Melissa and I weren't at the house after Wednesday and it's been reported wrongly that um, we had unfettered access to the house, which is somehow um, saying that I must have had more time to clean up whatever mm. sort of thing but as of Wednesday I had no car no clothes nothing so we basically had to and that's why I went and stayed with um Jack's dad right I had nothing at all you know so even though Leanne had uh, defense wounds mm. which showed that she had fought hard her for her life yeah. you had no wounds no scratch marks or anything on your nothing. body nothing I was actually in foyard when I think it was 11 days later when Julianne Lowe was murdered by Sean McFedrin and this was at the caravan park where we thought Leanne had gone, her, her friend Trish lived. You know, looking back now, I mean, I don't know, can't say, I mean, he's obviously not the full quid. I've met the guy, I was incarcerated with him for a long time. I did ask him on one occasion if he knew Leanne, he said he didn't, which we knew wasn't true because he used to uh, play... He's, he's 19 year old at the time. He used to play football with Trish and Leanne. That was from Trish's statement. What about Leanne's sister, your former girlfriend, Melissa? Did your relationship continue at all after your arrest? Pretty much, um, yeah, she sort of, I mean, she sent mum a letter um, saying that she didn't believe it. Um, she was supportive but that her dad had told her um, not to um, have any contact because there might be suggestions that she was involved. So, 
I mean, as heartbreaking as that is, it's like they've been through the biggest trauma oh, of their lives too. And that's, that's, you know, something that I don't sort of um, disregard. You know, it's something I think about. I mean, I'm pushing for this to be resolved, knowing full well that um, there's the other side of this, you know. But you've gone from being a family member, part of the family that this tragedy's happened to, yeah. to being rejected by the rest of them and... That's very painful, I would imagine. Yeah, well, it is to the extent that um, she's sort of probably in a position to have an opinion um, and not express it. Now? She, well, she's never been vocal about I've never sort of... I mean, a friend of ours, the, the friends that we were down the coast with on the weekend prior to all this happening, her uh, daughter and Melissa's sons used to go to the same school, so they'd bump into each other. Mm. And one day it just came up in conversation. Um, Melissa said to Mandy, so who do you still catch up with from the old days? I mean, really? You, you can't ask that question and not sort of think... And she was obviously fishing yeah. to see if we were still... And we, you know, she says, oh, yeah, I still catch, you know, we still see Froggy all the time. That's my old nickname that never seems to die, you know. I don't know where that came from. But, you know. Yeah, so, and she didn't sort of say anything of it. She didn't get nasty or anything, didn't bag me. So I'm thinking, well, you know. It, I mean, if there is to be any sort of um, conversation between the two of us, I guess it's it's got to come from her. I can't be the one approaching her because that would be seen as, you know, it could be turned into something else other than just me wanting to know what what she thinks or what went on. Is Terry still living, their dad? No, Terry passed away a couple of years ago. And her brother? Uh, her brother passed away. So there's only Melissa left. left. If you have any information regarding Leanne's murder, Please call Crime Stoppers in your state or contact Graham Crowley at whokilledleanneholland.com. You'll find that link on our social media pages and in the show notes to this episode. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back on the 9th of January 2020. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 
As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.